Welcome to the Restless Hearts Podcast, a podcast dedicated to spiritual reflections and conversations about our journey together as human beings. I am Father Ray DeLugos, an Augustinian friar serving at Merrimack College as the Vice President for Mission and Ministry. As I have been introducing an Augustinian examine to various people, including those who have been listening to this podcast, I have talked about the sixth theme, love as the quintessential Augustinian theme. Augustine, I would say, knew himself and knew us as really good at loving, at pouring himself out for the sake of something outside of himself. Unfortunately, he learned in many painful ways the same lesson that many, many, if not all of us learn when it comes to love. Namely, that we can be really, really bad at choosing what or even whom to love. We give ourselves away, mind, body, heart, soul, and will, to many things and people and causes that happily take everything we are willing to give and give us nothing in return. As a result of loving wrongly, albeit passionately, we can be repeatedly left empty and used, hurt and angry, unsatisfied and disillusioned. And while we can and do certainly learn from those experiences, we often don't. And so love does not become for us the fully human and humanizing experience it is meant to be. For it isn't just the desire to love that makes us human. It is the desire to love that which truly loves us that makes us fully human. Augustine's torrid account of his early days of attending university in Carthage capture this so well in the opening lines of book three of his Confessions. So I arrived at Carthage, where the din of scandalous love affairs raged cauldron-like around me. I was not yet in love, but I was enamored with the idea of love, and so deep within me was my need that I hated myself for the sluggishness of my desires. In love with loving, I was casting about for something to love. The security of a way of life free from pitfalls seemed abhorrent to me because I was inwardly starved of that food which is yourself, O my God. Yet this inner famine created no pangs of hunger in me. I had no desire for the food that does not perish, not because I had my fill of it, but because the more empty I was, the more I turned from it in revulsion. In contrast, in Book 10 of the Confessions, after he has shared his long and tortured process of finally surrendering his heart and soul and body to God's love and mercy, this prayer of praise bursts forth from the page like a magnificent rainbow after a violent storm. Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within, but I outside, seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things that you have made, I rushed headlong, I misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back far from you, those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. 
you flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance. I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burn to know your peace. The seething cauldron of illicit lust he met in Carthage has become for Augustine a profoundly sensuous and erotic experience of the love beyond all love that has somehow gotten his attention, not from outside, but from within. Overcoming his distracted senses, seeking the beautiful sounds, sights, smells, tastes, and touches of the world, the sound of God's loving voice reached the depth of his heart. The beauty of God's light entered his soul. The fragrance of God's alluring perfume drew his restless heart to that which will give him true rest. Finally willing to taste the spiritual food which had early in his life revolted him, he cannot get enough of it. And the touch of God's merciful and compassionate and healing hand on his heart fills him with a desire far greater than his desire for any creaturely delight. I wish I could say that I know from experience what Augustine is talking about as he shares this deep spiritual awareness and desire. I love reading that prayer. It stirs me like nothing else. But while I cannot say it as my own, it does move me to believe that there is this love truly worth loving that I really want to find me. I know plenty about desire and hunger and longing and emptiness and the excitement of having my needs met and my desires quenched. But doing this examine has revealed how easily I long for and settle for that which is so much less than love itself. It's actually embarrassing to hear myself honestly answer the question, what did I love today? Because the honest answer is more often than not, lunch. And if it isn't lunch, then it is something else that comforted me, like recognition, praise, affirmation, respect, power, a sense of competency that underlies what might appear to be generosity and service. When the question gets clarified by asking, what got most of my attention, time, energy, and emotion each day? Rarely can I answer loving God and loving my neighbor. Although finding ways to satisfy my own desires so that I can avoid the unpleasantness of uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, and shame show up pretty often in my reflections. The anxiety evoked by this experience of quarantine has been telling as I noticed what I missed not having what I worry won't be available, and what possible changes and adaptations I may have to make to my lifestyle and my habits. I have seen how much I depend on those shapely things that God has made, which would have no being were they not in God. What the examine can do, if I allow it to do so, is to teach me the great lesson of Augustine's life. Namely, that it is, it is wonderful to love what God has given us. Whether that be things that bring us pleasure and joy or people who make us more complete in friendship, conjugal love, the experience of parenting, of serving, of teaching, and being served and taught by them. So long as we allow that which we love 
to remind us that whatever or whoever they are, they are not God, but are truly themselves when they point us toward the one true love that will fully complete us and make us whole. It has occurred to me on occasion that the great commandments to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves are both really hard to do precisely because we cannot experience God with our physical senses, but we sure can and do experience our neighbors that way. I have a hard time even imagining what loving God or being in love with God is supposed to be like. I know the excitement and the adrenaline rush that comes with falling in love, as well as the heartache and disillusionment it inevitably brings. For me, falling in love is physical and emotional more than intellectual and spiritual, while my relationship with God is far more intellectual and spiritual than physical and emotional. In what may be a very oversimplified way of thinking about this, the trouble is that I can't see God, hear God, smell God, taste or touch God the way I could with anyone with whom I have fallen in love. I don't think that I am alone in that. The hard part of loving God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength is that I just don't know what or who I am loving. And yet I do feel called to love something. Ironically, the biggest problem I have with the second great commandment is exactly the opposite. I can see my neighbor and easily judge him or her as not worthy of my heart, soul, and strength. I can hear the sound of my neighbor's voice and find it irritating, annoying, disagreeable, or grating. I can smell my neighbor and be disgusted as often, if not more, than I can be allured. I do try to avoid tasting my neighbor. And while it may be sad that we are looking at a future where we won't touch anyone but those most intimate to us, I'm not so sure that there are many folks whose touch I'm going to miss. How much easier it would be to fulfill the great commandments if I could see, hear, smell, taste, and touch God so that my body and my emotions are stirred by God's sensual beauty. Would it be easier to love my neighbor if I weren't hampered by the physicality of doing so? Maybe it would be if I couldn't be turned off by what I might see and hear and smell and have to touch and even taste. But if Augustine's path is true, and I have bet my life on it, even if I may not have wagered enough yet to get a payoff. Loving what is physically and emotionally appealing just might teach me how to love the God I too often only think about and try to get my head rather than my heart around. After all, I hunger and thirst a lot. I long for lunch every day. And I look forward each day to the taste of that first sip before dinner. I love to look and see the beauty of creation and have sunlight and shadow and color and motion delight me. I love the smell of onions and garlic simmering and the taste of ice cream and chocolate and pizza. I love the touch of fabric and texture and hugs and kisses from people I do care deeply about. I love watching our students grow and develop and discover themselves. I have learned to love working with the faculty and staff at Merrimack 
as they reveal their true selves to me more and more, and I have learned to receive who they truly are. The trick that Augustine learned, I think, is to not negate or devalue any of these things and experiences that give pleasure and delight and are so easy to love, but rather to allow them to teach us how much more to desire God's music, God's beauty, God's fragrance, God's food, and God's peace. Augustine learned that the physical world that could be so easy to love was not the enemy of loving God, unless we try to replace God with the created world. Rather, Augustine learned that when love is properly ordered, that which is easy to love can point us just as much toward love itself as it can numb us to the desire for anything more than the little it has to offer us. He discovered this for the first time in the garden in Milan when his clinging to what he, is, he had always loved gave way to God's true love and he emerged with a serenity and peace that he had never known. He discovered it again from that window overlooking a garden in Ustia by the Tiber with his mother while talking with her about God and truth and the truth that only God is and what life in God's presence in eternity would be like. He describes what happened to both of them in this way. Our colloquy led us to the point where the pleasures of the body senses, however intense and however brilliant a material light enjoyed, seemed unworthy not merely of comparison, but even of remembrance beside the joy of that life. And we lifted ourselves in longing more ardent toward that which is, and step by step traversed all bodily creatures and heaven itself, when sun and moon and stars shed their light upon the earth. Higher still we mounted by inward thought and wondering discourse on your works, and we arrived at the summit of our own minds. And this too we transcended, to touch that land of never-ending plenty where you pasture Israel forever with the food of truth. Life there is in wisdom, in the wisdom through whom all these things are made, and all others that have been or ever will be. And as we talked and panted for it, we just touched the edge of it by the utmost leap of our hearts. Then sighing and unsatisfied, we left the first fruits of our, of our spirit captive there and returned to the noise of articulate speech where a word has a beginning and an end. How different from your word, O Lord, who abides in himself and grows not old, but renews all things. We are really good at loving, but not always so good at choosing what to love. As we stumble through life doing our best to love as we can, learning to love as best we can, perhaps allowing the desire to hear, see, smell, taste, and touch love itself will be more and more stirred in us so that we can get better and better at loving well 